南無妙法蓮華経、南無妙法蓮華経、南無妙法蓮華経。Hi everyone, hi good friends. Thank you for your practice. Thank you for being here.、Um, we are currently reading my effort at、uh, a modern, truly corrected, annotated, linguistically accurate as I can make it. Transmission of Shakyamuni's teaching. Related to, with annotation, Nichiren's doctrine. So, a study book of the Lotus Sutra that takes 2,700 years into account of scholarship all the way to Nichiren, so that we, modern practitioners of Nichiren's doctrine of the Lotus Sutra, Can relate every section of the Lotus Sutra, the sections most pertinent to Nichiren's doctrine, with notes on clarifications of what the collection of the Lotus Sutra actually means, because everything's about meaning, right? In fact, I've heard lately, I've seen videos pop up on YouTube of、uh, whether they're really expert or not.、Um, Theoricians on economics. I know, economics, boring subject. But the interesting term that I've heard recently is、uh, the economy of, you know, you hear about the industrial age economy, which we've long passed, but there's still our banking system, our politics all still run around that thinking. It's really disjointed. And then there's, you know, people talk about、uh, modern, postmodern. All sorts of adjectives given to reason out the state of our economics, right? Any, those of you closer to my age probably remember Reaganomics as one of those. But anyway,、uh, what was it now? Come on, brain.、Um, meaning, the meaning economy. I heard that and I thought, how interesting. <laughs> Since we as Buddhists are endeavoring so, making such effort to get past just the rhetoric and the words to understand the meaning, right? Because language is, language is born of the necessity of samsara, identification. So, how can we talk about liberation from samsara with a tool, language? Which is designed specifically for samsara. Very, very difficult. This is why, as we just read, Shakyamuni said only Buddhas can communicate about this. But that does, does that mean those certain elite individuals? No, 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 no. You have innate Buddhahood. I have innate Buddhahood. We all have the facility to live our alert, awakened, moment to moment. Knowledge, Buddha wisdom, our understanding, our being in the flow of life, the momentum of life. Once you achieve that, once you peer into that, once that ray of light from the Buddha's forehead or his top knot or whatever, once you achieve your own enlightenment, when you invoke Buddha, everything changes. Well, everything doesn't change because 
things are moment to moment, 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 moment. You become far more aware and a participant in the making. Right? The physical realm, the cosmos exists. But the way you perceive it and the way you experience it completely different from identifying with it as making yourself a thing the, the samsaric self thing versus the ephemeral constantly changing moment to moment thing that's not a thing that's a process that's an engine of life that's a momentum of life instantiating and dissolving constantly with the opportunity to affect its trajectory. That's why we practice. One, to experience it. Two, to freely participate in it for the maximal expression of our potential. Whew, lots of words. What does it mean? So, from that standpoint, I think, bring on the meaning economy. That's the revolution the world needs. That's the open stage upon which you and I have the glorious opportunity to involve others. That economy, we want that economy of meaning. In other words, the currency exchange of meaning to explode. That is, for lack of better words, the meaning economy, the propagation of this teaching, of the Dharma, is well, what, what will rid us of the incredible amounts of violence that are in the world. Because it'll be nonsense. It'll be obvious nonsense. It'll be like, well, we have the option to fight, but fight. Why would we do that? That's so stupid. That's how it should appear to a human, compassionate mind. And that the word fight should be, what does that mean? What, what did you say? Figit? Figat? Fight? What does that mean? That's an old, old word. We don't use that anymore. Yeah, I'd like to be alive to see that happen. All right, so let's continue where we left off. In the Hoban chapter, a very important chapter, right? Uh, and we left off just as I was about to enter into one of my rather long uh, annotations. Appropriate for this chapter as it's so uh, fundamental to uh, Gongyo, our practice, Nichiren. Hmm? This is an exceptionally strong event in the Lotus Sutra, and yet it is seldom, seldom discussed with any potential lesson or clarification as to its cause, causes and implications. It's true. We hear about the Hoban. We chant and recite the Hoban. But uh, very few um, opportunities to actually study what is it. And if you're one of those, most of us were at one point, want to see what that Hoban chapter looks like, or to Judeo, in Translation, well, here it is, completely. Hmm? So I will do my best to explain, as I see it, 
as a very clear moment of catharsis that is at the root of this culminating teaching of the Lotus. So let me be your guest speaker for a moment and give you my two cents on the Holbein chapter. These 5,000 monks that left the assembly at this juncture are acting out of resentment that there that, that has been long-standing in the 40-some years of Shakyamuni's teaching. Resentment about what? More specifically, in the early Mahayana teachings, it was repeatedly said that the monks of the three vehicles were destined never to attain Buddhahood. This was due to the confluence of two things. One was the provisional teaching of a temporary goal of Nirvana taught to assist monks that were feeling unsure of the goal of Buddhahood in this lifetime and coupled to their insistence of ancient cultural teachings of reincarnation or multiple lifetimes. I imagine after decades of trying to raise the capacity of these monks who were so determined to hang on to their cultural truths Right? These were Hindus. These were, they, they come from varied backgrounds, but their culture was firmly wrapped in the magical, mystical world of reincarnation, afterlives, and so on and so forth. And it's no wonder Christianity and Muslim uh, Islam teachings took such a hold in India. It, they actually drove Buddhism out of India. Isn't that ironic? Hmm. This problem can only be viewed from Buddhism as a profound attachment to an identified self, that thing self, yeah, via the physical body. Oh yeah, my physical body can let go of all attachments to, I don't care about my guitars or what I eat or all relationships, I'm totally independent, I have reached nirvana. No, you haven't, because you're still talking about you, 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 you. You haven't let go of your body, and you understand by now, I'm not talking about elimination of those things. I'm talking about the elimination, the emancipation, the liberation of your attachments to those things, of the identification of your life and who you are based on those possessions, not least of which is your body. This is at the root of why so many Buddhists shave their heads and faces to let go of that identification of that style of face and, and aesthetic, because that's attachment to the body self. The self isn't, find your mind. You can't find it, right? But you know it exists. The self, the true self is like this. Mm. The body as an indelible attachment is the locale of fear of death. This is this is the, the stumbling block. If you're attached to your physical aesthetic self, then of course, right along with that attachment is fear of losing it. This is the stress and anxiety that Buddhism identified from the get-go. So you can lose your attachment to everything else, but if you haven't lost your attachment to your aesthetic self, your physical self. Not that you destroy it, but you release it as something that's in process, moment to moment to moment to moment, just a vehicle for your mind. 
Only then are you truly liberated, yeah? And without that last step, you're going to be afraid of death. And all the attendant contrivances to continue that vessel of self throughout time. But additionally, it was also a profound affront to their preeminent teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha, who spent decades teaching impermanence, emptiness. Why don't you get this? If it's true of all phenomena, guess what? You're a phenomena. In essence, these monks were acting distrustful and in disbelief of Shakyamuni and his teachings that the Buddha was attainable in this very lifetime. Nah, you're tricking us. You don't mean it. So there's always this huge divide between those of the three vehicles whose pinnacle is Arhat, considered to be the emancipated life, the last bodily life, but they're still in it. <laughs> it's quite a contradiction. Ichantika was the term used to describe this stubborn or incorrigible disbelief in Nietzsche's day, yes. And the indication that for these monks it would be impossible to reach Anuttara Samyak Sambodai, they accepted it. They said, oh yeah, it will take 16 million lifetimes for me to accomplish that. And ultimately, most of them believed that they would never accomplish it until a Buddha, whoever that is, would hand it to him like a freaking diploma. Come on. If Buddha is a state in the mind that you're innately cap capable of, why does it have to be handed? How can it be handed to you? Hmm? It's a deep divide in the community of the Sanghas, yeah? In his compassion to keep these monks seeking toward the path of enlightenment, because I can't drop them, they are learning, but gosh, why don't they get this on their own? He taught a goal of nirvana to emancipate them from cravings and clinging of samsara, thinking, obviously, that if they could accomplish that, certainly they would realize but they didn't. Their earthly or mundane attachments toward the realization of their impermanence. No doubt it was thought that these monks would eventually release their obstinance toward the permanence of their bodily self and therefore accept their potential for immediate Buddhahood. A logical, you would think, outcome. But it wasn't happening. So in the Lotus Sutra, Shakyamuni puts it, oh, okay, I'm done teaching to your capacity. I'm going to teach you how this is done, how I did it, how anyone can do it. And you're either going to get it or you're not. But if you continue, I'm convinced that if you continue, even in your stubbornness, you can't help but get a renge, an aha moment. You've got to be able to get past this. So I'm going to predict that at some point in the future you're going to attain Anuttara Samyak Sambolai. And if you choose to accept this as, yeah, in 16 millennia, I'm not going to fight you anymore. I'm just going to tell everyone this is how you get there. Period. End of story. 
And some of them, some of those arhats, some of those Tarvakas and Tachagabudas. Eh, we already know how this plays out. We already, we've already achieved it. We're so enlightened. We're out of here. Oh my goodness. The cause they're making, yeah? So, for this, for his part, Shakyamuni has an entire parable and chapter in this Lotus Sutra to address the false nirvana teaching as a provisional step for those monks with weak resolve to keep them from backsliding or quitting altogether. After so many teachings throughout the early years and built upon throughout the Mahayana on impermanence, emptiness, anatman, etc., the idea that these student monks would continue to assume multiple lifetimes to attain Buddhahood and have to have to have it given, quote-unquote, to them via an actual Buddha was simply the product of arrogance, stubbornness, and laziness. This accusation was mainly reserved for the Arhat, a monk who was assuming the achievement of complete nirvana while making this claim as a superior being or self. Duh! Basing part of their claim on this being their last body. Oh, but a body nonetheless, yeah? These statements are full of contradictions on enlightenment, Shakyamuni's teachings, and even their attachment to the body remaining in samsara, and therefore not truly liberated or emancipated. This is the crux of incorrigible disbelief. Has anyone taught it to you that way? Does it not make sense? Totally logical, yeah. So when these 5,000 monks get up and leave the assembly with that attitude that they have nothing more to learn, <laughs> their arrogance was not something Shakyamuni could be bothered to address. Remember, he remained silent while they walked out. <sighs> now, to be sure, this was a small number of those monks. There were a lot of people, in, un incalculable numbers in the assembly, right? Most of whom remain in the assembly, and as we will see, Shariputra, an acknowledged leader amongst those monks, would be keen to listen and be converted into this lotus teaching. Shariputra being the great first example in the Lotus Sutra of uh, 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 there's more to go. There's further to go. Now you're a black belt, but that just means you know how to do it. Now you need to do it. Hmm? You need to develop your own realization of it. Now, so far, you've just been instructed. Now you need to do. That's what the Lotus Sutra is. So that, that's my interjection at this point. Let's continue, shall we, with the Hoban chapter. Now carefully listen and I will expound the matter for you, Shariputra said. So be it, world-honored one, I desire joyfully to listen. Tell me, I'm ready. The Buddha addressed Shariputra. Such a wonderful law as this is only taught by the Buddha Tathagatas on rare occasions. 
Just as the Adambara flower is seen but once in long periods, some say it blossoms every 500 years, some say 1,000, 1,500, it's not often seen. Shariputra, accept me, all of you, all of you. In the Buddha's teaching, no word is false. Because this is going to rattle, rattle you. You've heard me preaching for over 40 years. What I'm going to say now is going to challenge your understanding. And that might upset you. But I'm telling you right now, I am not playing around. So listen. Shariputra, the meaning of the laws which the Buddhas expound as opportunity serves is difficult to understand. After over 40 years, everyone in the audience should understand that because they've had to go through their own personal revolutions in thought and expand their thinking in ways they never knew was even possible as they're trying to keep up with these expansions of their minds and the way their minds work and the way they conjure reality, yeah? Don't get this wrong now. I've, I've seen other videos and, and pundits talk about, well, the mind makes reality. Reality doesn't exist except for the mind. This is the problem and trick of language, okay? Language is samsaric. Of course reality exists. Of course the cosmos exists. Of course you burned your finger and it's scarred and it hurts. It's not about reality or no reality. It's about how you experience it. What are you seeing? What are you making what you see into other than identification for your bodily self? There's this stage in our minds, right? You can analyze it to death that the eye receives light, only a limited spectrum. You should be questioning right then. And then it goes into the eye and is upside down because of the lensing of the eye. Why don't we see the world that way? Because our brain corrects it. What's going on in this skandhas, yeah? All this process of manipulation, of information, making it something tangible, palpable, for us to sink our talons into, our epistemology into, our idea of what is and what isn't and how it applies to our selfing. We are selfing ourselves constantly with the accrual of stuff. Hmm? You've heard me talk about this ad nauseum. Shariputra, the meaning of the laws which the Buddhas expound as opportunity serves is difficult to understand. Mm -hmm. For what reason? Because I expound the laws by numer or numberless tactful ways and with various reasonings and parabolic expressions. These laws cannot be understood by powers of samsaric thought or discrimination, which is samsaric thought, only the Buddha experience can discern them. Only the Buddha experience can discern them. Only when you enlighten your mind will, aha, will you understand. 
that things appear to you as they appear to you. But even if with our samsaric language, you and I agree, yep, that's a camel, the way you understand camel, camelness, color, size, animal, myriad different epistemological little building blocks in your mind are not the same as mine. Ipso facto, when Shakyamuni teaches to different minds, he realizes with his Buddha wisdom that he has to tell the story in certain ways for you and I to get our own insight. Oh, ha, ha, I get it. Yeah, we both get it, but you get it your way, I get it my way. We are so close, but... And some of us, you and I, might be worlds apart because of the realms we're constantly being influenced by. Our individual freight trains of karma being dealing with repercussions of Previous assumptions, epistemology, new assumptions based on those assumptions. It's super complicated. And yet, the idea, quite simple. Mm. For what reason? Because the Buddhas, the world-honored ones, only on account of the one very great cause appear in the world. Shariputra, why do I say that the Buddhas, the world-honored ones, only on account of the one very great cause appear in the world? Because the Buddhas, the world-honored ones, desire to cause all living beings to open their mind's eyes to the Buddha knowledge so that they may gain the pure mind and therefore they appear in the world because they desire to show all living beings the Buddha experience. They appear in the world because they desire to cause all living beings to apprehend the Buddha knowledge. They appear in the world because they desire to cause all living beings to enter the way of the Buddha knowledge. To experience Buddha, they appear in the world. There is no other reason What's the purpose of life? Answer, Buddha. To experience life in the full, in the moment, moment to moment to moment. To be in the experience, the Dharma of the engine of life. Everything else is samsara. It's attachment. It's... Shariputra, this is the why. This is why it is only on account of the one very great cause that Buddhas appear in the world. The Buddha addressed Shariputra again. The Buddha Tathagatas teach only bodhisattvas. What does that mean? If you're not a bodhisattva, you're not worth teaching? No, it's simply the order of things. In order to hear, to understand how to manifest Buddha, you have to learn 
several stages of understanding. If you don't understand how your mind and body are connected, if you don't understand how your mind creates the world you're in specifically, and how your mind is influenced, then the idea that you can invoke a clarity in that mind sounds mystical and magical, but Buddhism isn't mystical and magical. You may, when you get your aha moment, and believe me, I have, be amazed, and you may want to use words like, man, this is magical, but it's not truly magical. It's just, this is language, yeah? It didn't appear because of a, a you know, abacadabra. It appeared because you honed your skills, trained your mind to shift its paradigm of identification to experience engrossment, engagement with the process as it happens. A phenomenal process of incalculable moments. I, I feel myself swelling inside just talking about it. And it, it, believe me, if it hasn't happened yet, it will. But if you really are determined for it to happen today, raise that mind of resolve. Don't just hack away at it. Don't go, well, I'm doing what I'm supposed to. No. Next time, watch that video, Presence at the Butsudan. Put yourself in that mindset and tell your samsaric bodily self, pay attention. We're going there. Buddhaness, now. Conviction, confidence, make it happen. You can't fail. All right. So why do they teach only bodhisattvas? Because you have to have that level of understanding, that level of confidence before you will allow your Buddha to manifest. Hmm? Whatever they do is always for one purpose. That is to take the Buddha experience and reveal, reveal it to all living beings. Shariputra. The Tathagata, by means of the one Buddha vehicle, teaches to all living beings the law. There is no other vehicle, neither a second nor a third. Forget that, Sharvaka, Prachaka, Buddha, Arhat, even pre-Lotus Sutra, Bodhisattva. They base their practice on a false premise. I knew it was false. They should have known it was false. They should have excelled beyond it. But they chose to remain trapped there. Those are lesser vehicles. They're vehicles, but they won't get you there. So now I'm teaching what? The one Buddha vehicle. To all living beings, the law, there is no other vehicle. Forget those others. Neither a second nor a third. Yeah, I know you've been a Shravaka excelling for 40 years or 30 years or however long it was. He's telling this directly to Shariputra, isn't he? There's no second, no third. Don't bank on the next 
teaching, because the only teaching is this one. This is the one. This is the end goal. This is the point where Shariputra, the, um, um, one more annotation from me here. This is the point when Shariputra, the highest considered arhat, has been confronted with the false goal he has been pursuing for 40 years in the practices of the three vehicles. The nirvana he sought is, in fact, a provisional expedient. Expedient means, and not the complete nirvana of full enlightenment or liberation. This will be further elaborated in the seventh chapter of the Conjured City Parable. Right? All right. Back to the chapter here. Shariputra, the laws of the Buddhas in the universe also are like this. Everything agrees with what I'm saying right now. Shariputra, the Buddhas in times past, by infinite, numberless, tactful ways, and with various reasonings and parabolic expressions, parabolic meaning in parables, expressions expounded the laws for the sake of all living beings. All these laws are for the one Buddha vehicle. This has always been the goal, even though some have forgotten or settled for intermediate goals, the one Buddha vehicle has always been the driving force behind these teachings. So that all those living beings who have heard the law from the Buddhas might all finally obtain perfect knowledge, anuttara samyak sambhavai, perfect and complete enlightenment in this lifetime. He's spelling it out. Not that he hasn't in many other ways before, hoping that people would get it, but now he's just saying it directly. There is no other purpose for Buddhism. This goes back to Siddhartha long before he became enlightened. That was his goal. How do people live this life fully without anxiety and stress? Not about how can they be born in a land far, far away. That was never Siddhartha's thinking, nor did it become that when he became enlightened. In fact, his life, as has been said before me, was the very example of being born into a human body and experiencing enlightenment in this lifetime. He's an actual manifestation of this teaching. How people weren't getting it. Talk about stubborn cultural identifications, yeah? Shariputta, the Buddha's the world honored ones at present in innumerable hundred thousands myriads codas of Buddha lands in the universe who are so greatly benefiting and rejoicing all living beings. These Buddhas, by infinite, numberless, tactful ways and with various reasonings and parabolic expressions, also expound the laws for the sake of all living beings. All these laws are for the one Buddha vehicle so that all those living beings who hear the law from the Buddhas finally obtain perfect knowledge. Another little annotation here, just to drive the point home. In the Vimalakirti Sutra, we learn that all lands, the worlds each one of us inhabit with our minds, as I was saying earlier, our constructed worldview, 
are in fact the Buddha lands. Once we take the steps to awaken our Buddha mind. This is the Buddha knowledge as the experience of a mental paradigm shift to experience anew our very earthly mundane world as this amazing function of the engine of life. So when we read of this myriad and innumerable Buddha lands, Shakyamuni is actually enumerating sentient minds with innate Buddha knowledge being awakened through training. That's our practice. Shariputra, he says, all these Buddhas teach only bodhisattvas desiring to show all living beings the Buddha knowledge, desiring to cause all living beings to apprehend the Buddha knowledge, and desiring to cause all living beings to enter the way of the Buddha experience, the Dharma. Shariputra, I at the present time am also like them, knowing that all living beings have many kinds of desires deeply attached in their minds. I have, according to their capacity, expounded the laws by various reasonings, parabolic expressions, and tactful powers. Shariputra, such teachings all are in order to secure perfect knowledge of the one Buddha vehicle. Shariputra, in the whole universe, there are not even two vehicles, how much less a third. How many times is he going to drive that point home? Shariputra, the Buddhas appear in the deluded and malicious ages of the five decades, that is to say, de uh, the decay of the Kalpa, decay Oh, five decays, yeah. Decay through tribulations, decay of all living creatures, decay of views, and decay of lifetime. Thus, Shariputra, because in the uh, disturbed times of kalp the Kalpa of decay, all living beings are very vile, being covetous and envious, bringing to maturity every root of badness, the Buddhas, by tactful powers in the one Buddha vehicle, discriminate and expound the three, Sharvaka, Prachagabuddha, and Bodhisattva. Shariputra, if my disciples, who call themselves Arhat, or Prachagabuddhas, will neither hear nor understand that the Buddha Tathagatas teach only Bodhisattvas, these are not the Buddha's disciples, nor Arhats, nor Prachagabuddhas. Wham! He really slammed the door on their feet there. Hmm? If you're not willing to see beyond your prideful arrogance, then you're not one of my students. You have utterly failed. Worse than somebody who doesn't know anything about Buddhism. Because you've used your arrogance to manipulate Buddhism into something else. Hmm. Again, Shariputra, if those bhikshus and bhikshunis who claim that they have already become arhats and say, this is our last bodily state before final nirvana, and thereupon do not again devote themselves to seek after the perfect enlightenment, you must know that this class are all extremely conceited. You think this, is, this sounds like a happy guy? I think Shakyamuni is pretty pissed. He's worked really hard to elevate these people's minds, and they're slamming the door in his face. 
Now, he's not angry in the way of wanting, you know, retribution or revenge. No, no, no. He's angry because it pains him, right? Like it pains a parent to see a child go against every advice they give her and do exactly what they told her. Don't, please don't do that to yourself. You'll so regret it in the future. Screw you, mom. Screw you, dad. I'm going to do it. No, no, please don't. And you're powerless to stop them. Ah, it's so painful. Right? For what reason? There is no such a thing as a bhikshu who has really obtained our hotship if he has not accepted or understood this law. But there is an exceptional case when, after the Buddha's extension, there is no other Buddha present. And this is the caveat he uses to say, if I'm not here for them to resist, I don't know how long it'll take, but maybe, maybe then they will look upon themselves with some humility and they'll start to understand. From what, for what reason? Because after the Buddha's extinction, it is hard to find persons who can receive and keep, read and recite and explain the meaning of such sutras as these. Only if they meet other Buddhas can they, in this same law, obtain the solution. It's going to be tough. Shariputra, you should with all your heart accept, understand, and discern. Receive and keep the word of the Buddha. No word of the Buddha Tathagata is false. I'm not changing my story here. I'm not changing my teachings. I'm just continuing them on beyond this provisional point. And I'm putting the final chapter into place here. Please have confidence. There is no other vehicle, but only the one Buddha vehicle. That's what all this has been about. And he's having to say this, not just for Shariputra. I think Shariputra is getting it. But all of those others that Shariputra has to communicate to. Hmm? He has to have the confidence. At that time, the world honored one desiring to proclaim this teaching over again spoke in verse. And yeah, I'm going to, as I often do, I'm going to procrastinate this into the next video. I'm trying to keep these videos a reasonable length. Some of you like the long format, though. I've, I've toyed with the idea of just reading an entire chapter at once. But they're just so packed with information, yeah? And especially since I'm doing these annotations, I figure I'll take my time and make this a, a good study series, yeah? Anyway, uh, you can buy this book in its current form. You can get the ebook of the larger format um, online. Uh, if you go through threefoldlotus.com, you'll see that the description says these are artist proofs. I'm still doing little corrections and so forth, right? Still language molding and so forth to make sure the meaning is clear and not somehow misleading or adulterated by cultural biases, etc.
When I finish this series, though, this book will be complete. And I will annotate it on the threefoldlotus.com so you know you'll get the uh, final first edition edit, yeah? But, I mean, as a follow-along, if you want to get the, the bigger, the e-book, it's, it's not that expensive. I think it's 15 bucks. Um, might be worth having in hand so you can mark it up as we go, yeah? In the meantime, I just want you to elevate your confidence in this practice. I want you to feel absolutely bonded to your practice. Because I want you to experience that renge, yes? That aha moment, that Buddha-ness, it's so incredible. You may need to take care of your health in order to do that. But I have had moments of <laughs> dire desperation where I could barely get myself in front of the Buddha-don with a trash. You don't need to know all that, but anyway. Yeah, I've been desperately ill in front of the Buddha-don, and sometimes I think... That must be my karma. I had to get that desperately ill to really commit. <laughs> I don't know. That may be uh, just my Catholic upbringing, yeah? <laughs> but <laughs> not that there was a whole lot of that, but there was a little bit. Anyway, I just want you to stay healthy so that you can keep your practice strong, keep your motivation high, be confident, be resolved, and enjoy the fruits of your practice. Namo Geko. With tremendous gratitude for all of you liking and subscribing. It helps promulgate the, these teachings, this resource. It's a Bodhisattva act. So is buying ebooks and books. You're helping support the Sangha and patrons. I can't say enough about you. Thank you so, so much. Take care of your health, and I'll see you in the next one. All right. Bye for now.